one car, two drivers, three wheels, 34 days, 3,500 miles around India. This is the Trans India Challenge podcast. Welcome to episode 7 of the Trans India podcast. And the challenge is six days and just over 750 miles into its 3,500 mile, 5,600 kilometer circuit of India. At the wheel, well, for most of the time, Alan and Pat Braithwaite, supported by myself, Peter Brill, and documentary director David Campbell, who will join me a little later in this episode. Now, if you haven't heard the previous podcasts, a reminder that the Trans India Challenge aims to raise £200,000, that's around 1.8 crore rupees, to support the work of Indian not-for-profit organisation Goonge. Goonge uses urban waste as currency to promote regeneration of rural communities. We'll tell you how you can contribute later in the podcast. So far, we've driven through Pune. Solapur, Hyderabad, where we and the car Queen Bee met British Deputy High Commissioner Dr Andrew Fleming, and then on to Kamam and our current location for this podcast, Rajamundri, before we reach the Bay of Bengal and Visakhapatnam, also known as Visag. We're close to the end of our first leg, which will be at Gopalpur in two days' time, and there will be time to reflect on the whole leg at that point. But as we begin to see more of rural India over the past couple of days, we hear from Goonj founder Anshu Gupta about his first experiences away from the city, which ultimately led him to found the organisation with his wife, Minakshi. While I was studying, a massive earthquake happened in the mountains of Uttarakhand. I just just picked up my small Minolta and spent almost two weeks there. So my first exposure to, to be honest, village India, my first exposure to the beauty of the people of the villages, my first exposure to the disasters. I had never seen, I had never imagined the disaster is like this. My first exposure to the dignity of people and also the poverty and so many and the hard life and so many related issues and also my first exposure to the issue of maybe clothing because I, I remember how a person uh, in, a, in a jacket which was made of jute uh, packing bags with a lot of uh, patches and all in one remote village was just asking for a jacket or a blanket because he lost his home and everything. Now, obviously as a student I had nothing to offer and I never I never went there prepared and so I, I couldn't relate. I, I actually couldn't relate that why this person is saying that I need a blanket or I need a woolen or otherwise I'll die. I couldn't relate because I, I at least come from a family where if I feel cold, I have a I have an excess uh, of, you know, to a blanket over my quilt or, or I have these four walls. But then one night I uh, actually spent in a tent on the mountains, literally minus temperature. And then one night taught me what is cold all about and then obviously many more nights. You talk about three basic needs of humankind and you say food, cloth and shelter. But but you actually ignore the clothing part. Cloth you remember when a disaster happened. Cloth you remember when you when you don't want to wear something and you want to give it away. I mean you can you can always come and say I am donating it. Uh, we actually don't donate, we, we, we discard. 
but still we call it donation but we only remember when we have access of it and we want to give it away and and i was struggling with the simple argument that if earthquake is a disaster if flood is a disaster uh, how come winters are not a disaster why don't we understand that maybe poverty is one of the biggest disaster and and it's an ongoing disaster and this is where this story happens and and i realize that actually the cold is not killing people because if the if the cold kills people even i would have died i survive on a on a scooter on a bike at a speed of 60 70 kilometers per hour someone aesthetic in a park dies is not the cold is the lack of clothing is a highly preventable death so when you talk about three basic need of human kind you say food cloth and shelter but if you talk about the millennium development goal sustainability goal to any goal you will have 100 150 issues from literally as i say domestic violence to global warming you will never find clothing written as a subject and unfortunately cloth is the first visible sign of poverty and we'll hear more from anshu gupta's story in future podcasts over the next few weeks in the meantime back to the last few days and in particular the journey today from kamam to rajamundry it was my first time at the wheel of queen bee and needless to say david campbell caught up with me at a very noisy roadside just after a brief interlude with the local traffic police they just wanted to look at the car that was all yeah this is um this is the first time i've driven the car and she is absolutely beautiful i really understand now why hypercar owners want one of these totally predictable beautifully smooth easy to drive quick when you need it And yes, just for the record, the police really did only want to see the car and take a selfie. But later that evening, David and I talked about a particularly challenging journey. I just couldn't believe today. I couldn't believe how rough those roads were. I mean. You know, you expect you, you people say to you, "Oh, Indian roads could be a bit rough." So you expect gravel roads, you expect going into small villages, but to be driving along a main road, even a dual carriageway, which is perfectly tarmacked and perfectly normal, and all of a sudden, you're in the middle of a quarry. That's the best way I can describe it. There's potholes the size of a crater on the moon. you just you could disappear you could hide a whole lorry in some of these potholes and they just appear out of nowhere you know it's perfectly normal road and suddenly it's a moonscape unbelievable and it just went on and on and on today i mean i think we only did 200 kilometers 200 kilometers today and i think it took us over 5 hours 6 hours something like that because uh queen bee had to simply crawl through these things otherwise she wasn't going to get around How impressed are you with the car's performance because obviously you've not had a chance to drive her yet but um it's been a lot of different roads it's been very hot um how impressed are you She's amazing I've watched her crash and bang through these huge hot potholes today and we got her back and you and I Peter we did a spanner check on her and apart from a broken clip I think it was a broken clip on the uh, exhaust uh, a manifold was that was it there was nothing nothing there was no movement in the suspension the drive belt was perfect in perfect condition it looked like new the tire pressures were almost perfect 
Um, she was in the greatest nick. I, I just couldn't believe it. I, I mm. thought that would have shaken her to bits. And I, of course, had a, a chance to drive her today, which uh, for the first time. And as you heard on that clip a little earlier, um, I absolutely loved it. I, it. It's the most fantastic car to drive. Uh, great, really responsive. You really get lots of road feel. But I also had a lot of challenges with the potholes. I mean, as, as a cyclist, I'm used to looking for potholes. So I, I tend to look ahead at the road surface. Um, but some of them you just couldn't see. Um, it, it was just a matter of hoping and, and going slow where you needed to and, and just hoping that you avoided the worst of them. But uh, it's been a hard day and it's been very, very hot and it has been for the last few days. The, the heat has been quite extraordinary, um, up, well up into the 30s. And, and in the car where you have no cover, it also makes for some fairly hot driving. We're having to keep well hydrated. In terms of the filming, there's been some quite spectacular scenery Certainly today, probably for the first time, we saw proper Indian. We saw paddy fields, we saw uh, mango trees, we saw tobacco groves, we saw um, maize and, and, and all sorts of amazing stuff and, and small villages. How's that been from a documentary perspective? Um, the problem today was we were in a very supportive role uh, for you and Alan and the car and uh, we didn't get out to shoot much footage of the general countryside. Um, you've got to remember the documentary is going to be 90 minutes long and we've got 40 days so a day like today where we got little clips here and little clips there and odd bits and pieces wasn't terribly productive but it doesn't really matter there'll be plenty more. I mean we're seeing practically the whole of middle and northern India on this trip there'll be plenty for us to shoot and uh, missing a few bits today but what i saw today was amazing we saw monkeys for the first time today we saw monkeys on the side of the road um we saw lots of uh, buffalo wandering around in the middle of the road um you know we we saw goats being herded i mean it's quite amazing you're going along with you know what looks to be a main road and suddenly there's a herd of about 500 goats in the middle you know some guy you know shoving them along and you've got to push your way through it you know what the goats make of a three-wheeler in black and yellow god only knows they used to see these brightly colored trucks and everything flying through but uh um, you know, I'd love to get some footage just of their eyes, just to see if they register that this is a little bit different. Actually, Queen Bee has had quite an interesting effect on animals. We've noticed, particularly with dogs, um, they're quite wary. They they chase after her, but they're actually quite wary um, of her. And whether it's the noise, somebody suggested it might be the fact that actually the three wheeler is quite small. It's quite low. It could almost be another animal. They have a sort of very strange uh, reaction uh, to her, and it's, 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 it's quite funny. You're right. I, I have noticed that. And I intend to get some shots of just wandering around, focusing on dogs as uh, Queen Bee goes past. Because I'll tell you, I absolutely have noticed it. Dogs just go nuts. As soon as they hear her, I think it is. Because I'm in the lead car most of the time, the lead chase car. And I see the dogs, they're all lying asleep at the side of the road. And I see them suddenly perk up, their ears go up. 
they look around, they see the car, they see the Morgan, and suddenly they're off and they're barking their heads off. And there is definitely something about it. I think it must be the noise because, like I say, as soon as they hear it, you can tell they can hear it. And suddenly they, they look up, they turn around, and they're all, all eyes are on, uh, on the Morgan. And uh, then they just go nuts. We're six days in. We're kind of in a rhythm now. We're kind of used to the daily get up, get ready, get out, do the driving, some media conferences. We've got another one tomorrow. Um, how is it living up to your expectations and, and, and what are you looking forward to next? Oh, I knew what I'm looking forward to next is a rest. I need a day off. <laughs> it. It is getting into rhythm. You get up first thing in the morning, normally between seven and eight o'clock. You're on the road well before nine, yeah, sometimes before eight. Um, it's five or six hour day on the road where you're, for me personally, uh, because I'm combining roles, um, is you know, supporting uh, Alan and the car and at the same time trying to uh, film it all. So sometimes we're leaping ahead, jumping out of the car, filming stuff. Um, it's a pretty strange day. You're sitting in the car for maybe two hours at a time doing nothing, and then suddenly you've got to leap out and do some filming or leap out and deal with a problem or whatever it is. So you've got to be on alert the whole time. We normally arrive into town about four or five o'clock in the evening. Then if there's a media conference or a visit to Goonge, so there's another couple of hours dealing with that. And then in the evening, uh, I'm editing footage and you, Peter, are, are editing the podcast and, and sorting out files and sorting out equipment and getting ready for the next day. So um, there's very little time for rest although we did sneak in a short game of snooker this evening didn't we Peter we did and who won Peter we won't discuss that yeah but it wasn't you no it wasn't um, <laughs> so that's about it for this episode of the Trans India Challenge podcast you can support us by visiting the challenge website transindiachallenge.com and clicking on a contribute now button or you can go directly to give Asia. Uh, at giveasia.com and search for Trans India Challenge where you can contribute directly. You can also follow us on social media at Trans India Challenge for Facebook and Instagram and at Trans India Chal on Twitter. There's plenty going on and we've had lots of response and feedback from you so thank you so much for that. You can also listen to previous podcasts on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker and Radio Public. And if you've got to this point, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in the next few days with a roundup of leg one, a look ahead to the trip to Calcutta, more from Anshu Gupta, and we'll be hearing from the Deputy High Commissioner of Hyderabad and the region. That then is it uh, for this episode. Thank you for listening to the Trans India Challenge podcast.